Welcome to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Dr. Rutland is a world-renowned leadership expert. He is a New York Times best-selling author, and he has served as the president of two universities. The Leader's Notebook is brought to you by Global Servants. For more information about Global Servants, please visit our website, globalservants.org. Here is your host, Dr. Mark Rutland. Now, if you have your Bibles, if you'll take those and turn first to uh, the second chapter of the Gospel of Jesus Christ according to Matthew, I want to read five distinct passages of Scripture, but I want to sort of guide you through them, if you will, please. If you'll notice, uh, in Matthew chapter 1, beginning with verse 18, I'm not going to read it, just stay with me, you have the, the uh, account of the birth of Jesus. Uh, starting with uh, verse 18, it goes on, then the visit of the wise men in chapter 2, and uh, then you have the, the miraculous visitation of dreams uh, and how the wise men depart into their country in another way. And then, if you will, turn to uh, verse 14, Matthew chapter 2, verse 14. And when he, now that is Joseph, when he, and when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night, and departed unto Egypt. And here's the key verse. And he was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. But the first part is the part I want you to see. And he was there until the death of Herod. Now verse 23. And he, again Joseph, not Jesus, Joseph, and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Now, if you will, turn to Luke, the first chapter, and verse 33. I know that these verses already, you're saying to yourself, these don't seem like the most exciting Christmas verses in the entire Bible. Uh, Luke 1 and uh, 38, I should say. Luke 1, 38. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the last part is the key verse here. And the angel departed from her. And the angel departed from her. Now to the 80th verse of that same chapter. And the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his showing unto Israel. That's talking about John Baptist. And the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his showing unto Israel. Now to the second chapter, the 20th verse. And the shepherds returned and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. These are strange verses to choose. Tonight is the, uh, I'm continuing this series that we're preaching here on Starstruck. And tonight I want to speak on uh, Starstruck by the Supernatural. So if you'll bow your heads now and close your eyes as we begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you that tonight we are gathered in this place and we sense your presence with us, a quietness amidst all of our ebullience and joy. Even at this moment, it seems that you have settled in upon us and you're welcome. We praise you, God, and we receive you. Now, Lord, I pray that you will sweep aside every barrier to divine communication in the speaker or in any listener. Come, Holy Spirit. 
that when we leave here tonight, we will say to one another, I've heard from the Lord. In Jesus' name, the strong Son of God, amen. Some years ago, I was preaching, uh, pastoring in a church uh, about this size in Orlando, Florida, and uh, Orlando has its fair share of movie stars that come and go because of the presence of Disney. But uh, one of my more unusual encounters and more humorous encounters happened. I had uh, gone out late at night, not not hugely, 10 or 10.30 at night to go by the grocery store, get something that we were missing. And I was standing in the row that has all the crackers and things. So I was just trying to find the thing I was looking for. And I glanced out of the side of my eye at a tall, very tall, strikingly handsome African-American man standing right beside me. And then I turned and looked at him again, and I said, you know, I know this is crazy. Has anybody ever told you, you look remarkably like Sidney Poitier? He said, well, that I have been told that. He said, that's because I am. <laughs> and I said, well, I'm delighted to meet you. I've enjoyed your body of work. And he was so nice. We just shook hands there. Now, even as I'm telling this story, I gaze over the expanse of this congregation, and I can see people under the age of 50 leaning over and whisper to each other and say, Sidney who? Sidney Poitier, one of the handsomest, most gorgeous African-American actors, actors of any race to come through Hollywood, the first African-American to win the Academy Award for Best Actor for Lilies of the Field. Brilliant, brilliant actor. Standing there in the cracker aisle with me, I got a charge out of the fact that we were in the cracker aisle. Was it just me or did anybody else get it? I said, do you mind if I ask what you're doing here? He said, I know it seems crazy, but he said, I'm, I'm buying groceries. I said, well, I know that, Mr. Poitier. I mean... Why are you, don't you have anybody that'll do this? He said, I'm here for a board meeting at Disney and they sent me out for snacks. <laughs> so anyway, we talked for a while and then we went our separate ways. And as, they, as fate would have it, when I arrived, it was late at night. So there's only one checkout line open. And when I got there, Sidney Poitier was in line right in front of me. So I just pulled in behind him. Hi, how you doing? You know, I didn't want to drag it out. So I just said, hello. He said, hello. When he came up to check out, there was a sweet little lady, African-American lady, about 60 years old, who was checking out. She's not looking at anybody, you know, passing the stuff along like this. She said, how are you? And he said, fine, how are you? And she looked up. <laughs> and she screamed. She screamed at the top of her lungs right in his face. She just screamed. Ah! And she turned and ran. Took off to the back of the store. Just took off running. I said, does that happen to you a lot? He said, you'd be amazed at the effect I have on old ladies. In a little while, the manager came out. He said, let me check you out myself, Mr. Portier. I'm sorry. He said, I'm afraid our staff 
is a little bit starstruck. And he's checking them out, and I looked, and behind him, all, everybody had come out of the butcher shop, all, everybody, and they're all just kind of doing this. And that lady that had screamed at him, she was just standing there, saying, I, I found him, I found him, <laughs> like she had discovered Sidney Portier. So he got his groceries and he just kind of nodded at me, you know, good to see you. I said, yeah, fine, you know, and he went out and all of them just followed him out into the, they followed him into the parking lot. And I thought to myself, being a star has got to be a mixed blessing. I have been all over the world. I have never had an old woman scream in my face. That's, I, I'm not requesting that. We're, we're both approaching this theme of starstruck from different angles and on uh, all kinds of different places. Tonight is a very simple little pastoral message here in this Christmas season. Starstruck can mean simply to be overcome by a celebrity, to be awestruck by a celebrity. I would like to submit to you that the birth story of Jesus, that the core of that story, the birth of Messiah himself, is actually a star-studded event. And the stars, the stars of this story are the supernatural circumstances that dot the story. The angel that appears to Elizabeth. John the Baptist's father who is struck mute until he will answer the question appropriately. What is his name? His name is John. And then he speaks. The, the miraculous uh, birth of um, John Baptist. The, the wonderful in, uh, annunciation with, with Mary when the angel Gabriel comes to her. The appearance the physical appearance, the conversation with an angel, the, the uh, wise men who come. The, the scripture is not clear that there are three, by the way, and a lot of make people make a lot of that out of the fact that we're, there's, we don't really know that there were three. They had three gifts. We know that. So maybe each one had one. Maybe all, you know, all 12 of them, each of them had four. I don't know how we divided that out. But we can assume that there were three. There were three gifts. There's the wise men. There's the shepherds. There's the angels in the sky. There's, there's all of this gold and frankincense and myrrh. There's all of this supernatural uh, things that go on in this story. But the problem for us is that all of those end. If you, if you think back on the verses of Scripture that we just read tonight, and the angel departed from her. And the wise men went home. And the shepherds returned to their flocks. And Joseph went to Egypt. We have no account of the time that he was in Egypt with the Holy Family. It only says he fled to Egypt. He was a refugee, a Jewish refugee in a foreign country waiting for his own king to die. He didn't know whether that would be a week or a month or a year or a decade. 
We know that John Baptist disappeared into the desert and waited until the day of his appearing. And Jesus, after all of this supernatural, all of the celebrities of the supernatural are all over with, he spends 30 years, 30 years in his father's carpenter shop. Even before we ever hear from him again, it's 12 years. 12 years of silent childhood, followed by 18 years of silent adulthood. In other words, the real story cannot be told because your story can't be told. How? I'm not insulting you. I'm just saying if everything about your life was told, how, how boring would that be? I mean, can you imagine a book that year after year after year, he got up and ate his eggs and went to work and had lunch and came home and ate his supper and watched some TV and went to bed. And then he got up and ate his eggs. No, that's not what we want. We want to hear about the bear that you killed when you were nine with a Bowie knife. We want to know all the exciting events. We want to know all of those things. But the fact of the matter is, life is not filled with angels and wise men. Life is filled with all of the tedium and the hard work and the regularity of life. Sometimes, and I, I, I want to, I'm going to balance this out for you if I can, but sometimes, I get afraid that those of us in the spirit-filled world, in the charismatic and Pentecostal domain of this kingdom, sometimes I get afraid that we are addicted to being starstruck, that we can't live without angels. And it can, it can make us, it can make us goofy. It can just make us goofy. I mean, we're not all going to scream in Sidney Poitier's face. But it can make us goofy. I was riding with a guy one time in the car. I, you know, things happen. And you, am I the only one? And you can't even think of what to answer. You can't even think of what to say. And you just go, mmm, mmm, mmm. He was, he said, I've been praying and praying. He said, I've got a house I want to sell. And I've been praying and praying that God would reveal to me the price to put on this house. You know, does the word appraisal, does that, does that occur to anybody? So we're riding along, and he's telling me this. I've just been praying and praying for God to reveal to me what to, what to put on this house. And all of a sudden, he said, oh, look, Dr. Rutland, look at that license plate. Look at that license plate, FS180. I said, well... What do you make of that? He said, for sale, 180000 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Look, the Holy Ghost is supposed to make us holy. He's not supposed to make us weird. You get the sale price for your house off of a license plate, and I'm hoping that you sell it to me for FS001. We're... Now, this, this has to be balanced. This has to be balanced. Here's the thing. Look, you don't want to go the other way. You don't want to become some you know, old 
crusty old curmudgeon like John MacArthur saying there's no angels, there's no miracles, there's no signs, nothing, you know, everything, God's retired, you know. <laughs> we don't want that. But uh, I, I be, these angels are real. These angels are real. This angel appeared to this little teenage girl and said, Hail to thee, Mary. Thou hast found favor in the eyes of God. Think about that. Think about that. And the angel says, you're, you're going to have a baby. She says, really? Because I'm a virgin. He said, oh, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. And you'll conceive. And that holy thing which you bring forth, he should be called Jesus. He's going to save the world, his people and all the world from their sins. And this humble little sweet girl, a village girl, uneducated from a conquered country, and she says calmly, listen to her answer, be it unto me according to thy word. Be it unto me according to thy word. And then the next sentence, we just read it, and the angel departed from her. Am I, <laughs> am I the only one? You all sit out there looking so spiritual. I'm up here revealing my slimy little soul. I know what I know myself. I know what I would have said to that angel. Yeah, well, this is fine. You're going with me and tell my dad. No, no, no. The angel departed from her. I'd have been clutching at that angel's robe. Wait a minute, big boy. Don't drop a message like that on me and leave. But that's an important point. Eventually, the angel departs. The flight to Egypt, that, that, that's one sentence in the Bible. That's a long trip on foot. A long, tedious, boring, dusty trip. With a crying baby, a confused woman, a frightened family, and all the years in Egypt. There's a whole lot of days when you're not going to see any angels. There's a whole lot of days when you're going to get up and go to work and scrape the ice off your windshield and you're going to trudge out there and get in your car. There are going to be days when it isn't going to start. There are going to be days when your finances are in trouble and you're saying, where's the angel now? Where's the angel? I want my angel now. God will give us enough supernatural celebrities angels and wise men and, and miracles and signs and wonders, he'll give us enough of those to keep us moving, to keep us alive, to keep the journey exciting, to give us joy in the passage. But we cannot live our lives addicted to movie stars. There are days when, look, the real heroes, the real heroes in life, they're not the guys that jump into burning buildings and drag little children out alive. You know who the real heroes are? They're the dads that get up every day and go to work in boring jobs who wear the ties that their kids buy them for Christmas. The heroes are the single mom. The heroes are the single moms who get up every day and take an hour and a half to feed their babies. I'll tell you who the real heroes are. Allison and I had a precious friend. She's gone to be with Jesus now. But she spent her whole life in a wheelchair. 
She never walked one day of her whole life. She was one of the most joyful, positive Christians I've ever known in my whole life. If I could have given a miracle to anybody, if I could have sent an angel to just touch her poor little frail body, if I could have just seen her walk out of that chair, but it never happened. She's in heaven now. She's in her glorified body. She's walking with Jesus on golden streets. But I just wanted to see, I just wanted to see that angel for her. But to me, she was a hero. And all of the pain and all of the hurt and all of the years in the steel womb of a wheelchair, she just simply was a joyful Christian. What is heroic Christianity about? It's not just when the shepherds come in from the field or the angels fill the sky with glory or when there is some kind of a wise man that shows up with gold. How many of you would like a wise man to show up at your door tonight with gold? Come on. You know you would. Say, I have frankincense and myrrh. You keep that. I want the gold. But they all go away. Mary's left with what she's left with, a baby. Joseph is, is left with confusion, and, and, and you know, he, this is a very confused guy. God has to speak to him in dreams, but the dreams end. Do you understand? A dream, an angel comes to you. Fear nothing, Joseph, marry her. She's telling you the truth. The child is the Lord's. She's not lying to you. Go on and marry her. It'll be okay. But the dream ends. Joseph has to take that woman and that baby when he comes home from Egypt and go back to Nazareth where everybody in town knows the story. Everybody knows what they were told and nobody believes it and everybody believes what they weren't told and isn't true. And he's got to live there year after year after year. That's the, that's the balance in which we have to walk. And it's not just, not just in terms of miracles, it's in all of our lives. Look there... My wife teaches a brilliant teaching at, that I, I love. I've heard her teach it so many times that every time I love it. She talks about the, the falling in love experience, how wonderful it is, how exciting it is. It's just so thrilling. And, you know, you get the tingles and all of that. And it's just so fun. But you can get addicted to that. You can get starstruck with falling in love. So you can't build a relationship. You can't build a marriage that lasts 46 years. Because you, you don't get to fall in love. Oh, I mean, you say that. I'm falling in love all over again. But, you know, I did some counseling with a guy one time. Tummy's out to here. Nose. He says, Dr. Rutland, my wife doesn't just turn me on anymore. I wanted to say, well, you're not exactly Tom Cruise. That's, a, that's what you want to say to young people. Look, Allison makes this brilliant point. I love this point. She says, my wife studies the brain. She's a scientist, and she loves, she's all about studying the brain. That's, that's what 46 years of living with me will do to you. It will make you say, I got to figure some stuff out. But she says, scientists have proven that when you fall in love, that it's not just emotional, it's physiological. And that your body saturates your brain in endorphins when you're in love. 
and endorphins cause you to temporarily hallucinate. That explains everything, doesn't it? When your best friend says to you, isn't he gorgeous? And you're thinking, whoa. She's hallucinating. But Allison points out, all of that, your body can't produce that on and on. It only produces it about, for about 18 months, and then the endorphins dry up. And then you're drug-free. You're having to, it's not, it's not falling in love. You're having to do marriage without the benefit of hallucinogenics. That's, that's the balance. That's the balance of the real Christian life. I, I, I believe in miracles. I believe in signs and wonders. I believe in the visitation of angels. Once a, a lady in one of my churches came and told me about an, she said, an angel came in my room last night and he comforted me. And she said, I've been so afraid since my husband died. And it was an angel that just spoke to me and comforted me. And I was listening and she said, do you believe me? I said, here's the thing. I don't have any logical reason to doubt you. I don't have any real reason to doubt you. I believe in angels. I believe they are messengers of God. I believe they do come to help, help us. And I have no reason. You've never lied to me about anything in the past. I said, I don't have any reason to doubt you. So I, I believe in the visitation of angels. I believe in the choirs of angels that sang over the open canopy of space. I believe that those shepherds were awestruck. You want to talk about a celebrity? Angels. Angels. And, and the wise men coming all the way from the east, and you got Herod involved. You're a, a poor little couple who are so out of place that you're in a garage having a baby, and all of a sudden you find out that the king of Israel is involved in your story? But what's on the other side of that? A long, dusty, lonely, confused trip to Egypt and years living there waiting for an old man to die. And then years working in a carpenter shop for John the Baptist, the magnificent moment when Mary appears and John is in his mother's womb, in Elizabeth's womb. And when Mary calls out, Elizabeth, are you home? And the baby John rejoices, rejoices. And she knows she receives. She doesn't wonder why she doesn't say the baby's kicking. She says, the child in my womb rejoices. Who am I that I would be visited by the mother of my Lord? But then they don't see each other again, as far as we know, for 30 years. For 30 years. What I'm trying to say to you is that the balance we walk in is to believe in and walk in and have faith for the supernatural. Yes, I believe in that. And yet at the same time to know that there, that there are lots of days that are tedious and boring and hard work and difficult and there's no angel, that the angels have gone. There's no angels that you can see. Nobody's parting the sky and singing. 
Do you know what you do in those days? In those days, you realize who the real star of the story is. The real star of the story is God, the Father Almighty, that is orchestrating this whole thing, that he's involved in this whole thing. And that's when you say, God, if I never see another angel the rest of my life, my faith is not in the angels of God. It's in the God of angels. I'm going to believe with you that you have financial miracles and physical miracles and relational miracles, that the lost will come home, that husbands will be healed, that wives will be redeemed, lives changed, and marriages healed. I'm believing with you, but I'm also believing that in the meantime, while you wait and while you walk this out, that you will keep your eyes not on the miracles of God, but on a God of miracles. What's the secret? What's the secret of the Christian life? It's not angels. You know what the secret of the Christian life is? Left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot. That's the secret. Keep walking. Keep believing. Keep holding on to his hand. Be faithful. Be obedient. Be diligent. Just walk it out. Just walk it out. A man came to me not real long ago in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And he said, I, I've been watching you on television. I want you to pray with me about something. He said, many years ago, there was a Christian organization here in town, a businessman's organization. And he said, I went to that organization one night, had a dinner, and I went there. And he said, Dr. Rutland, a man prayed with me, and he said he put his hand on my head, and my body was filled with what felt like electricity. He said it felt like a 1,000 volts went through my body. I was knocked unconscious. I didn't wake up for a half an hour. He said, I never felt anything like that. And he said, that's been 30 years ago, and I've been trying to find it ever since. I said, oh, my friend, my friend, you're, you're chasing the wind. That is not it at all. That's not it at all. Don't try to get back to that. Don't try to find that. Don't try to rediscover that. God is not all about giving you tingles. You think God is all just, God is some kind of cloud of electricity floating through the universe, and every now and again, you get to... God is the God who gives you perseverance and diligence and the kind of heroism that gets up and goes every day. Now, here's the last thing, and that is this, that in all of the celebrities of the supernatural, stars and angels and miracles and dreams and signs and wonders, and, and, and I, I'm, I'm for them all. I want you to hear that. I believe in them. I believe them all for today. But in the, in the midst of all of that, that the, the real secret, the real secret is that God is working out a plan that you cannot fully comprehend in where you are right now. God is doing something. There was nobody in this story that fully comprehended what was happening. Herod, he was out to lunch. He was just trying to protect his throne. The wise men, they just said, look, we've seen this star. We're, they were starstruck. We've seen this star. This is exciting. Where is he? 
Where is he? But they didn't know who he was. They, didn't, they had to find a bunch of rabbis to tell them it was Bethlehem. The, the shepherds, they were starstruck. Angels are singing. This is wonderful. This is exciting. But, but nobody, not even fully the Virgin Mary, not even fully the Virgin Mary understood. Do you think that that moment in that manger when she was holding that baby and those guys are getting off of their camels and kneeling down with treasures and shepherds are coming in and angels are singing, do you think that there was one moment in that that she understood God's plan of redemption for your life? Do you think that there was one moment that she comprehended that 21st century, 21st century Gentiles in a country halfway around the world would someday be able to go to heaven because of the baby that she held in her arms? I don't believe she had very limited concept of what it meant that he shall save his people from their sins. God is working out a plan. It's far beyond your ability to comprehend it. I just... Talked to the friend, their grandchild has, is having a baby out of wedlock. The granddaughter is having a baby out of wedlock. And they said, this, this is the hardest thing I've ever been through. I said, I admire you. I'm proud of you. I'm loving that girl. But I said, listen, what if this baby... What if this baby that right now is causing you some embarrassment and difficulty and, and confusion and all of what, what if this baby, if you could know right now that this baby is the next Billy Graham that the world is waiting on? What if you could know that? He said, if I could know that, it would change everything. I said, yes, but here's the thing. Are you willing for God to know the destiny of this baby and you never know it? Are you willing to? it? That is what it means to release all of the stars, to release all the angels, release everybody around you. So here's the balance. On the one hand, not for one moment to have our faith in signs, wonders, and miracles to be diminished. I believe in angels. I believe in angels. I... I believe that I saw an angel one day. Nobody will ever talk me out of it. I believe with all my heart. I came down from the airplane at the domestic airport in Lagos, Nigeria. It was a very difficult time at that time, a very dangerous time in Nigeria at that time. And I had to make my way over to Matala Muhammad to the international airport. I'd never been there before. When I came out on the front of the domestic airport, there was a taxi waiting there, and I started toward the taxi, and there was a man, a beautiful, well-dressed man, gorgeous-looking guy on a beautiful suit, standing there, African man, and he just put his hand across my chest like this and shook his head. And you know, I just felt, don't do this. So I waved the taxi on. Another taxi came up. I looked at my friend, and he shook his head, never said a word to me. In a few minutes, a third taxi came, and he went like this. And I went and got in the taxi, and when I rolled down the window to turn and tell him thank you, he was gone. I never saw him ever again. I don't know where he went. I don't know where he came from. But I found out that at that time, one of the most dangerous tricks in the world was fake taxis with fake taxi drivers that would pick you up and take you into an alley and kill you and rob you. And I believe that man saved my life. You believe whatever you want to believe. I believe he was one beautiful black angel. 
I believe in it. I believe in that. I believe in signs, wonders, healing, miracles. I believe in it. But here's the thing. I believe in the God who gets you through the regular day. The God who gets you up to go to work. The God who helps you when you're just hanging on by a thread. I believe in all that. Well, let me close with this. You've been very patient tonight. It's a beautiful little story in the New Testament. It's actually one of the more difficult stories of Jesus because it's, it's not quite like any other miracle he worked. And here it is. Simon Peter came to Jesus and said, you know, there people are kind of saying you should pay temple tax and you're not paying it. What do you, what do you think about that? Jesus said, well, who should, who should pay taxes? Strangers or the, or the son? Son shouldn't have to pay taxes. He said, no, the son shouldn't have to pay taxes. He said, but no use to bring any offense. He said, go down to the lake, cast one time and you'll catch a fish. Pull it up and look in its mouth. Jesus, Peter goes down to the shore, casts his net, rod and reel, whatever used, pulls that fish in, opens it up, and there's a coin in the fish's mouth. And he pulls it out and goes, pays the temple tax. It, it almost feels, you know, like a trick or something, doesn't it? I have thought through that little miracle for years and years and years, and here's what I've decided. One day, there was a fisherman out in the middle of the lake. He had one coin that he had kept wrapped up in his bandana so that when he got home, he'd be able to buy supper. He grew hot. Sweat was on his brow. Mindless, he reached in his pocket and pulled out the bandana, went to wipe it, and the coin, boom. When he reached for it, a big fish came and just ate it like that and swam away. Felt like a bad day for him. Oh, he said, look at that. No supper, no coin. Oh, where is God now? Where is God now? Why me helping me now? Jesus says to Simon Peter, go down the first fish. That fish came and bit the hook, brought him in. Peter's a great big guy. When he squeezed that fish, that coin popped up out of his gullet and right into his mouth. Here's what I'm trying to say to you. Do you understand? God was in both ends of that story. God saw the coin drop. God saw the fish. God guided the fish to the hook. God completed the story. We paid the temple tax, and the miracle is ours to record. So I'm just trying to say, God can use that moment in your life that makes no sense. If you will just release it to him, just release it to him. You don't have to get the sale price of your house off of somebody's license plate. And you don't have to scream in Sidney Poitier's face. But I do believe that the God of wonder beyond our galaxy is a God of miracles and signs and angelic presence. But he'll help you every day, even when the angels have gone back to heaven. You've been listening to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review today's podcast.
You can follow Dr. Rutland on Twitter at Dr. Mark Rutland or visit his website, drmarkrutland.com. Join us next week for another episode of The Leader's Notebook.